Amen. I get the clicker from you. Paula. It's okay. A little past the baton there. Good morning, church. I hope everyone is doing well this morning. So glad to, uh, to see everybody. The worship was really good this morning, wasn't it? I tell you what, I, I, I really appreciate those of you who put the time in and really help to bring us before the throne of the Father. I'm going to take a moment before we start this morning and uh, go before the throne one more time and uh, just, just invite God's presence to be with us this morning. So if you would, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here with you. And Father, we just pray that you would make your presence known and felt in this place. Lord, we come in this room with all kinds of stuff on our, on our minds and hearts. And sometimes, Lord, it gets in the way. And, and so, Father, we just pray that this would be holy ground, that we would lay aside everything that's competing for our, our time and our hearts, that we would just take this moment to focus entirely on you, to be blessed by you, to be transformed by you, so that we might be a blessing to, to others around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, really quick before we, we get into it, I've been announcing and talking about this for the last few weeks. On July the 30th, um, our church is going to be hosting the, the Back to School Bash. And uh, I'm, I'm really grateful we've got a lot of people that have already signed up for uh, the help days that are coming up. We've got a Wednesday night that's going to be set aside to, to help get ready for that the Wednesday before the event. So if you would like to serve, again, we have a sign-up sheet over here, so make sure that you do that before we leave. And also today I want to make a quick correction for the discipleship training um, that we were going to do. It was actually going to be from 1.30 to, to 2.30 today. We're going to bump that up by 30 minutes. We're going to start today at 1 p.m., and uh, that's because I have a meeting uh, at, at about an hour away with Chrysalis that I had forgotten about. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, uh, please make that a priority today. Come today at one o'clock. Um, over the last few weeks, we have been taking a journey through the Bible to, to see what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. And, and we've been asking just some basic questions. You know, who is the Holy Spirit? What is, what is he all about? What is his work? What does his presence mean in the church? And not only in the church, but, but more specifically, what does his presence mean? in my life mean on a day-to-day basis. And the reason why we're embarking on such a large study of Scripture is because learning how to walk in the Holy Spirit, as Paul puts it, I'm borrowing Paul's language from his letters, but learning how to walk in the Holy Spirit, listen to me very carefully, church, is the most important thing that you will do as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what Paul says. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. He says, you, however, are not. This is talking to Christians. These are people who have been baptized in the Jesus. They have put on Christ. They have received his spirit. He says, you Christians, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives inside of you. And if anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So would you agree that having the Holy Spirit is probably pretty important, right? That's what we're talking about. So learning how to live, as he says, in the realm of the Spirit, not the realm of the flesh. I think you and I know very well what it means to live in the realm of the flesh. 
What we're talking about is how do we intentionally seek to live in the realm of the Spirit so that learning how to live with this indwelling Spirit that we've been given, this gift that we've been given, how can we make that the number one priority in our lives? Now, we've been talking about the Old Testament up until this point. If you look at the big picture, if you take the Old Testament in its entirety and you take a 40,000 foot view, here's what you have. You have a God that created his creation. You have divine community that creates earthly community. You have a divine community that lives in love and wholeness and beauty. And he creates the, 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 the Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And they too are supposed to reflect the same thing. And so the very beginning you see God in heaven or as you would say heaven, right? Because where is heaven? It's wherever God is, right? So heaven and earth are combined and they live and dwell in the presence of the Father. But what happens? They sin. And so there is a great divide that takes place and you have a fall of creation. And so for the first time, you have a separation between God and man. And then there are two stories that then begin. You have one story that's the story with God and other story that's the story without God. Or you might say it like this. This is the story of being in the realm of the spirit. This is the story of being in the realm of the flesh. Would you agree so far? Now listen. All throughout the Old Testament, what is God seeking to do? He's wanting to be with his people. From day one, he begins a plan of redemption to deal with the one thing that keeps you from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what is it? It's your sin, right? It's that rebellion inside of you. It's that brokenness, that dead spirit that you have. So he begins a brand new plan to deal with that situation. And you see hints of this all throughout the Old Testament. But think about the presence of God. Where do you see the presence of God primarily in the Old Testament? You see it in the tabernacle, don't you? God wants to be with his people, but there's a problem. There's a separation. Later on, you see God's presence in the temple of God. But the temple of God is pointing forward to something because by the time you get to the New Testament, you see the presence of God now in the tabernacle of Jesus' own body, the flesh. He's the tabernacle. He's the presence of God with us. He's the one that is the embodiment of the Holy Spirit upon the earth. But then what is the tabernacle and the temple and the spirit dwelling in Jesus pointing toward? It's pointing toward you and me. Ultimately, becoming the temple of God again. And guess what happens when we become the temple of God? The presence of God, the Spirit of God comes inside of us. Because that's how he answers the problem. How can we be back in the presence of God again? And the answer is Jesus Christ. Who died for me and you. To remove the boundaries. To get rid of the sin. So that God could then come into us. And we could be one with the Father again. That's the Old Testament in a summary. In fact, Moses himself would probably summarize it like this. Actually, let me, let me back up just a little bit here. You could summarize the whole Old Testament hope. I think I got ahead of myself. Where's that scripture? I didn't put it in. I apologize. Let me just read it to you. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, Moses summarizes the hope of the Old Testament like this. There was a He was getting overwhelmed by the work he was doing and God appoints 70 elders, right? To to basically share in the Holy Spirit that he had given Moses. And so he takes a little bit of the spirit he had given Moses and he disperses disperses it among the 70. Well, 68 of them were at the camp. 
I mean, at the, at the tent of meeting. There were two other guys in the camp. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, guess what they start doing? They start prophesying. They start hearing from the Lord and they start prophesying. And so the people in the camp think, wait a minute, that's not right. This is something that Moses does. These guys aren't supposed to do that. Should we stop them? I love what Moses says. Here's what he says to him. He says, listen, I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets. I wish that all of the Lord's people would put, that God would put his spirit on all of his people. Now, why does Moses say that? Because Moses could understand that the presence of God in a person's life changes everything. Moses had been in the presence of the Father. He went up on the top of the mountain. He spent 40 days there. In fact, you can literally see the effect that it has on Moses because when Moses comes down, what is his face doing? It's shining. Why? Because he's in the presence of God. To be in the presence of God, the Hebrew word means to literally be in the face of the Father. Well, when you're in the face of the Father, when you're in the presence of the Father, you can't help but shine. And he literally shined when he came down. Moses could see the difference that having the Holy Spirit in a person's life can make. And when he looked at that mass of people who was constantly in rebellion, he says, Lord, I pray that every single one of them would have the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? Moses didn't know this, but Moses was speaking prophetically. Because as you continue slowly over time, more and more prophets, later on Isaiah, later on Ezekiel and many others, they begin to talk about an age to come where that's going to happen. The Old Testament set up two primary things to hope for. Number one, there's a day coming when there's going to be a Messiah. And this man will not be like any other man that has ever walked the face of the earth. This man will not have the Holy Spirit upon him. This man will be fully endued by the Holy Spirit. That's the hope, number one. Number two, this man who is full of the Holy Spirit is not only have the Holy Spirit for himself, but he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on all of his people. Well, guess what? The whole rest of the Bible is to prove to you that Jesus fulfills both Old Testament hopes. Because look, the Gospels, what are the Gospels trying to tell you? He's the one. He's the one. He's the one that the prophets have been talking about for hundreds and, and, and over a thousand years. He's the one that's the anointed one. He's the one to come to deal with the problem of sin. But not only that, when you turn to the book of Acts, what happens? He pours out the Holy Spirit on all of his people, just like the prophet said. And what's the whole entire rest of the Bible about? The whole entire rest of the Bible is to show you what does it look like when a kingdom people decides to actually live full of the Holy Spirit in the world around them. We have a first century example to draw 21st century examples for you and I. Amen? Okay. Now, that brings us then to the New Testament. And the question of how does the Holy Spirit show up in the life of Jesus? Now, how in the world do you do a sermon like this? Let me tell you something. I have fought for two weeks to write this sermon. Number one, I've dealt with spiritual warfare over the course of the last week myself. Because I really feel like that, that number one, there were things that the Lord wanted me to see that the enemy didn't want me to see. And there's things that I'm about to say that he certainly does not want you to know. Okay? But, but over the past two weeks, I've been struggling with this because how can you take 30 minutes and talk about how the Holy Spirit shows up in the life of Jesus? Well, let me give you the quick answer. You can't. Uh, you could do a whole series on this. 
But when you think about the Holy Spirit and life of Jesus, man, we could talk about all kinds of things. We could talk about how that, that he was the one that told Zachariah and Elizabeth that they were going to have a child in their old age. And if you remember, he miraculously allows her to conceive. She has John the Baptist. John the Baptist gets filled with the Holy Spirit inside the womb of Elizabeth. And then afterwards, the Holy Spirit says, you know what? That's not enough. I'm going to fill Elizabeth and Zechariah with the Holy Spirit. We could talk about how the Spirit filled Zechariah and Elizabeth. We could talk about how Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. Later on, he fills Joseph and Mary with the Spirit. And then we could talk about um, how uh, even with Jesus' own life, you see the Holy Spirit. You see him at his baptism. You see the Holy Spirit at his temptation. You see him with all the miracles he performs. You see the Holy Spirit at his crucifixion, giving Jesus the strength to be able to endure everything that he endured. You see it with the resurrection. Why? Because it was the Spirit of God himself who raised Jesus from the dead. Man, look, we could talk about the Holy Spirit all day long. But at the end of the day, here's the main question I want to get to. What does it mean to me? What does this mean to me? Let me say something that I, it hit me like a ton of bricks the day I realized it. Have you ever had the feeling in your life that living like Jesus is just too hard? Am I the only one? Because, you know, it's a good goal in life, right? But I mean, he's Jesus. He's perfect. You know what I'm saying? I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it was something I heard growing up or whatever. But I was raised with this idea that, that we are told to, to, we're supposed to be like Jesus. But he's so perfect and he's so otherworldly that we really can't be like Jesus. But we try, but we know we can't. And so at this, we almost kind of hold Jesus up on this pedestal. And we say, yeah, he lived the way he did because he was God. And, and I'm over here. I'm just this lowly sinner. And so therefore, I guess I'm just a sinner. Let me tell you something. That's wrong. Because the whole Bible teaches us that the whole purpose of having the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us is so that he can transform you to look like his son. It's so that you can be like Jesus. It's not an unobtainable goal. It's the very purpose of why he died for you. Listen, Paul says it like this in Romans 8, 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. Listen, church, everything he did. His whole life, his entire ministry, every word he said, every action that he took was done out of perfect love for his father and for us. Jesus lived his life as an example for you and me to follow. You know, last week I asked you this question. I said, I said, why was Jesus baptized? Let me pull this back up here. Go to the next verse. Get that ready. Okay. I asked you the question, why was Jesus baptized? You ever thought about that? Why was he baptized? Because what is baptism? If we're talking about John's baptism, his was a baptism of repentance. Christian baptism is a baptism for the forgiveness of sins so you can receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't need either one of those, did he? So why is Jesus baptized? Well, he tells you. He tells you in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. He says, let it be so now, talking to John, because it's proper for us to do what is right to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, he looks at John and he says, John, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. 
Why is Jesus doing this? He's doing it so that he can identify with you and me. Let me tell you something. He is never going to call you to do something that he's not going to do ahead of time to show you the way. How do you and I start our walk with Christ? Maria, you were baptized the other day, weren't you? Right? This is the one I was telling you about. There were several that were baptized. Maria was one of the other ones that was baptized. That's how we start our journey with Jesus, isn't it? The Bible says that we die to our old selves. In those, in those waters of baptism, when we die to everything we once were, a miracle takes place. A real miracle takes place. You receive the Holy Spirit in that moment. Now listen. Jesus is doing this because he wants you to follow him. He's baptized because he's over here saying, listen, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to show you exactly how it's done. I'm going to show you how to live this Christian life. And I'm going to live it first. I'm going to show you from the moment I'm baptized on how to depend upon the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus, Jesus is doing. He's the model. He's the trailblazer. He's the one that we look to. So when we ask the question, I remember I used to ask this question all the time, especially when I was really, really deep in the addiction stuff. I would look at the Bible and it would say, walk by the Holy Spirit. And I'd be like, okay. How do I do that? (laughs) How do I practically walk by the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible said in Romans 8, if I do, I won't carry out the sins of the flesh. Well, I didn't want to carry out the sins of the flesh, but I couldn't figure out how to walk in the Holy Spirit. And then one day it dawned on me, Jesus showed us the way. He showed us what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit. And so, a few scriptures come to mind. I really love what Luke's been doing on Wednesday night. Luke has been... um, um, on Wednesday evenings at our cookouts, he's been taking some points from the book of Ephesians. And he's been talking about how does the Christian community live? How does the Christian community, when it's full of the Holy Spirit, how does it really live? What, what is functionally different about the community when we live by the Holy Spirit as opposed to the flesh? And I love this passage in Ephesians 5 from the same context. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as... Christ loved us just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Listen to this. 1 John 2, verse 6. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Paul was able to say this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Listen to this. What's that? Something went wrong? Okay. So we don't have any more slides after this? Okay. We go with the flow then. I'll just read it to you. John chapter 13, verses 13 through 17. Listen very carefully. Turn in your Bibles over there if you want to read with me. John 13, 13 through 17 says this. This is Jesus talking. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Because I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now listen, how many of you know? How many of you know this? And I'll say it again. God will not call you to do anything that he has not already done himself. 
God will not call you to do anything that he will not empower you to be able to accomplish it. Now see, that should should excite you. Because think about it. What does it mean? Because what that means is when the Bible tells us that we are to live our lives like Jesus, the reason why he says that is because you can live your life like Jesus. You can be transformed. You can be changed. You don't have to live the way that you used to live. Every single day, you can live more and more like Jesus. So not only are we commanded to live like Jesus, because that's what it means to be his disciples, we're also empowered to be like Jesus. So listen, when you hear this language of walking in the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? It means look at Christ. Look at Christ. Okay, well, if that's the case, if he's the blueprint, then I should be able to open the pages of Scripture and get a really good idea of how to walk in the Holy Spirit, right? You do. There's a lot of lessons we could pull out. This morning, I want to talk about just five. Actually, don't get bent out of shape because I realize we're short on time. We're going to talk about two, okay? (laughs) Two this morning. We're going to save the other three for next week. But there's all kinds of examples we could glean from. But I want to suggest just two two this morning. Um, Do we have it again, Alan, or no? No no slides? Okay. So just pretend there's a point about to come up on the slide, okay? (laughs) Point number one. Here it is. Write it down if you want to write it down. One of the things that you've got to realize about Jesus is that even though Jesus was fully God, listen to this, he did not use his divinity to his advantage. You do understand that, right? So it's not right for us to look at Jesus and say, yeah, he lived like that because he was God. I, I can't live like that. No, 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 no. Jesus was living like a new human. Jesus was living as a spirit-filled man. That's how he chose to live. In fact, if you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says this, talking about Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. So listen. Even though he was divine, even though he was God, he chose to live fully human. Why? Because he wants to identify with you and me. He wants to show you that he chose to live his life not by his divinity. He could have. He chose to live his life by the Holy Spirit that was given to him at his baptism to be a model and example for you and me to show us how to live. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, if we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every single way, just as we were, or we are, yet he did not sin. So think about that. Jesus went through everything you and I did. He went through temptation, just like you and I did. He went through frustrations. He went through times where he felt weak. He, he had to learn how to rely upon God's constant presence in his life to guide him, to strengthen him, to give him revelation, to show him what to do, what to say, where to go, who to minister to, who to not minister to. I mean, think about this. How many times do you see Jesus retreat away from the people so that he can go along to a lonely mountain somewhere to pray and spend a long time with God? A lot of times. Why is Jesus doing that? 
Why does Jesus constantly have this ebb and flow where he's with the people and he's away from the people? He's with the people, he's away from the people. Why does he do that? To pray. If you look at the life of Jesus, every single time Jesus has a major decision to make in his life, you know what he does first? He's fasting and he's praying. He does it before he chooses the 12 disciples. Um, he does it with some of the, the, before some of the bigger miracles that he does. Every step of the way you see Jesus retreat, spend time with the Lord, quiet time with the Lord, what I call 95, five time with the Lord, seeking the presence of God and then coming back out to serve him. Now let me ask you a question. Since we know that we are to model Christ, that's what disciples do, right? We look at our master, we follow him, we say what he says, we do what he does. And since we know that he's our model, since we know that Jesus lived as a human, since we know that he showed us how to walk in the Holy Spirit, since we know that in his humanness, he had to spend time away in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, in fasting, in prayer, to seek the Holy Spirit... How much more do we need him? How much more do we need him? All the time. Folks, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing on Thursday nights and Sunday afternoons. Because what I'm about to share with you is the key in Scripture to overcome temptation in your life. Now, how many people in this room could use that knowledge? How do I overcome temptation in my life. Well, let me tell you something. You cannot overcome temptation in your life unless you are proactively pursuing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You have to practice the presence of God in your life because you can't get through it without him. That leads to number two. This is the second thing that we learned about the Holy Spirit by watching the life of Jesus. And that is this. You cannot face the temptations that the enemy wants to throw at you unless you were already practicing a lifestyle of practicing the presence of God. When Jesus is tempted by Satan, he wasn't just going about his life as if God wasn't there. And then all of a sudden, the moment he got tempted, he opened up his Bible and found those Bible verses. He had been practicing the presence of God for a very, very long time prior to the temptation coming. In other words, he didn't get blindsided because he was proactive. He didn't get blindsided because he was ready for the temptation. And here's another point that I want to make. Jesus was ready for the temptation that came in his life. Why? Because he had already been engaging in spiritual disciplines to get his flesh under control. Listen, you don't learn self-control in the moment that Satan gives you the temptation. You learn self-control by practicing self-control through things like 95-5 time, through things like prayer, through things like fasting. That's why I implore you. I'm asking you. I'm begging the church. Everybody come to at least one Thursday night or one Sunday afternoon because we've got to go on the offensive when it comes to our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. We got to go hard after God. We got to pursue him with our whole heart. We got to get on our knees in the morning. We got to be on our knees at night. We've got to be fasting. Some people in this room right now have never fasted a day in their life. And that's not a judgment on you. That's because it's not taught anymore. We're taught consumer Christianity. We're not taught devotional Christianity. We need to pursue him with our whole heart. Think about the example of Jesus and how he overcomes temptation. I want to say this and we'll wrap up. In Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus is baptized, after he's filled with the Holy Spirit, what is the first thing he does? He goes to the wilderness. 
He fasts. He prays. He spends 95-5 time for 40 days straight. And it's here, right here, when Jesus is physically at his weakest, right when his emotions would be screaming on the inside, just change the stones and the bread, my goodness. I'm so hungry. (laughs) Jesus responds, not by his own strength, not by his physical strength, not by his mental strength, not by his emotional strength, but in that moment the power of God comes alive in his spirit and he replies back to the devil, it is not by bread alone that that man shall live, but it is by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, he found the power in the word of God because in that moment he had relied on the spirit to give him the strength to be able to find the way of escape out of that temptation. Folks, why am I sharing this with you? Because this is Jesus giving you the tools to know how to overcome temptation in your life. Three times the devil tempts Jesus. He tempts him with the lust of the flesh. Go ahead and eat it. It ain't that big a deal. He tempts him with the lust of the eyes. Shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. I'll give all these to you if you just bow down and worship me. And he tempts him with the pride of life. Go ahead and jump. Why don't you just go ahead and show yourself the Son of God now? After all, you are the Son of God. And every single time, Jesus shows his disciples how, as Paul puts it in Romans 8, 13, how to put the death, the deeds of the body by the Holy Spirit. Here's how we do it. We do it by constantly becoming more and more aware of God's presence in our lives. By becoming more and more aware of this indwelling of the Holy Spirit and by practicing His presence through spending frequent, intentional, alone time with Him in fasting, in prayer, in quietness, and spending time in the Word of God as well as in the presence of God. And what happens is is that the more we become aware of His Word and His presence in us, listen to this, as you become more aware of His presence you become less aware of your sin. As you become more aware of his beauty, you become less aware of the enticements of lust. And that's just simply the way that it works. We too get to a place where we learn what it means when it says, man does not live on bread alone by what he can do to sustain himself, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Why? Because he has experienced it. It's not words on a page to him. He's experienced the power of the word of God in his life. See, this is why Paul says this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you, what is common to man. Listen, there's, an old, there's a saying, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, um, a falseness that I've heard many times. You ever heard the phrase, God won't give you more than you can bear? You know that's not true, right? That's actually misquoting this passage right here. It says God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. I guarantee you God will routinely put a lot on you so that you can't bear it. Why? Because he's trying to get you to rely on him. But when it comes to your temptation, oh my goodness, I'm about to share something with you that's going to blow you away. I didn't see it for a long time, but listen to this. Hmm. He says, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. See, that's a function of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, folks. 
That's a function of the power of God in your life working on you to help you choose him. He says he's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you, can, what you can bear. But with that temptation, he will give you a way of escape. No, he says, I'm going to give you the way of escape. Guess who the way of escape is? It's Christ. You say, well, what does that mean? I just have to have faith in him. No, it's his real presence. But I have to become aware of his presence. I have to believe in his presence. I have to have faith that he's really right there with me. Right when I'm going through the struggle. And, and right in that moment of temptation. Right, And know that he's feeling his affections towards me. He's, he's lending me his strength. And he's there for me. He's praying for me. He's interceding for me. And I can choose. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit has made a promise. And he says he's, he's going to pull back that sin. He's going to rein it in just enough. He's not going to take it away. And see, that's what I prayed for years as an addict. Lord, just take it away. Just take it away. Just take it away. Guess what? He's not going to take it away. Why would God take away the one thing that has driven you to him your whole life? Sometimes he will allow the thorn to stay in your flesh to keep you coming to him. But the promise that he's given you is not that he'll take away the temptation. The promise is he will walk with you through it. So he will use the power of the Holy Spirit to rein that sin back just enough so that it doesn't overtake you, so that you have the blessing to be able to choose God in that moment. Man, let me tell you something. When you've heard God's voice, when you've had dreams or a vision that has come true, when, when you have witnessed miracles and the power of God, when you have seen people change that that you would have thought never changed. When you see people break free from addictions or bondages that you never thought could be destroyed, just crumble over the power of God. Let me tell you something. You don't have the luxury to be able to click on that website or take that drink or shoot up that drug or yell at your spouse or lie to your boss or spread that rumor or harbor that unforgiveness and not know that Jesus Christ is literally present with you. Praying for you to be strong in that moment. How did Jesus escape temptation? He practiced the presence of God every chance he got. He fasted, he prayed, he became strong in the spirit man so that when temptation later came, he would have the inner strength to stand on God's word and withstand the temptations through the strength of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? The same is true for you and me. Somebody says, Tim, why are you spending so much time on the Holy Spirit because he's everything. He's everything. You want a revival to happen in the church, it's going to happen through coming aware of the Holy Spirit. Now, earlier I mentioned five ways that we learn how to walk in the Holy Spirit through the life of Jesus. So far this morning, I've mentioned two. We walk in the Holy Spirit when we pursue the Holy Spirit with our whole heart. And we walk in the Holy Spirit when we allow the Holy Spirit to overcome the temptations in our life. You know why those two are so important? Because you can't really be that successful as a Christian if you're constantly struggling with sin and shame and guilt. you got to get that stuff out of the way first. That way you can walk in peace, walk in freedom, walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Okay. We're going to stop here. This is a good place to end. We're going to pick back up next week. We're going to talk about three more ways in which we can look at the life of Jesus and learn for us how to walk in the Spirit. And next week, we're going to answer the question, what's God's goal? What's God's goal in all of this? Why is God doing all of this? Why is he giving us this Holy Spirit 
for the, what's the purpose of it? And we're going to see that God has a reason. He has a purpose. He has a goal in hand. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Okay? Bow with me and let's pray. And we're going to wrap up right here. Father, we thank you for um, this word. I pray that through this vessel, this broken vessel up here, um, that your word has been spoken, Lord. Father, at the end of the day, we, we just pray for more awareness of your Holy Spirit. We accept him in faith. Because, Father, we know that this is not a mental exercise. This is, this is more than that. This is being in your presence. And so, Father, we're so grateful that we get to walk in the realm of the Spirit in your presence as we leave here this morning. Forgive us of our failures, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to respond to the invitation for prayer, anything, doesn't matter what, um, elders, elders' wives, whoever feels called by the Lord, if you want to come out over to the side to pray, um, make this time yours as we stand and as we sing together.